The Alchemist by H.P. Lovecraft. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tyler Doherty. The Alchemist by H.P. Lovecraft. High up, crowning the grassy summit of a swelling mount whose sides are wooded near the base of the gnarled trees of the primeval forest, stands the old chateau of my ancestors. For centuries its lofty battlements have frowned down upon the wild and rugged countryside about, serving as a home and stronghold for the proud house who honored line is older even than the moss-grown castle walls. These ancient turrets, stained by the storms of generations and crumbling under the slow yet mighty pressure of time, formed in the age of feudalism one of the most dreaded and formidable fortresses in all of France, from its marchiculated parapets and mounted battlements, barons, counts, and even kings had been defied, yet never had its spacious halls resounded to the footsteps of the invader. But since those glorious years, all is changed. A poverty but little above the level of dire want, together with a pride of name that forbids its alleviation by the pursuit of commercial life, have prevented the scions of our line from maintaining their estates in pristine splendor. And the falling stones of the wall, the overgrown vegetation in the parks, the dry and dusty moat, and the toppling towers without, as well as the sagging floors, the worm-eaten wainscots, and the faded tapestries within, all tell a gloomy tale of a fallen grandeur. As the ages passed, first one, then another, of the four great turrets were left to ruin, until at last but a single tower housed the sadly reduced descendants of the once mighty lords of the estate. It was in one of the vast and gloomy chambers of the remaining tower that I, Antoine, last of the unhappy and accursed counts to see, first saw the light of day, ninety long years ago. Within these walls and amongst the dark and shadowy forest, the wild ravines and grottos of the hillside below were spent the first years of my troubled life. My parents I never knew. My father had been killed at the age of thirty-two, a month before I was born, by the fall of a stone somehow dislodged from one of the deserted parpets of the castle, and my mother, having died at my birth, my care and education devolved solely upon one remaining servitor, an old and trusted man of considerable intelligence, whose name I remember as Pierre. I was only a child, and the lack of companionship which this fact entailed upon me was augmented by the strange care exercised by my aged guardian, in excluding me from the society of the peasant children whose abodes were scattered here and there upon the plains that surrounded the base of the hill. At that time, Pierre said that this restriction was imposed upon me because my noble birth placed me above associations with such plebeian company. Now I know that its real object was to keep from my ears the idle tales of the dreaded curse upon our line that were nightly told and magnified by the simple tenantry as they conversed in the hushed accents in the glow of the cottage hearths. Thus isolated and thrown upon my own resources, I spent the hours of my childhood in poring over the ancient tomes that filled the shadow-haunted library of the chateau, and in roaming without aim or purpose through the perpetual dust of the spectral wood that clothed the side of the hill near its foot. 
It was perhaps an effect of such surrounding that my mind early acquired a shade of melancholy. Those studies and pursuits which partake of the dark and occult in nature most strongly claimed my attention. Of my own race, I was permitted to learn singularly little, yet what small knowledge of it I was able to gain seemed to depress me much. Perhaps it was at first only the manifest reluctance of my own perceptors to see with me my maternal ancestry that gave rise to the terror which I ever felt at the mention of my great house. Yet as I grew out of childhood, I was able to piece together disconnected fragments of discourse, let slip from unwilling tongues which had begun to falter in approaching senility. That had a sort of relation to the certain circumstances which I had deemed strange, but now became dimly terrible. The circumstances to which I allude is the early age at which all the counts of my line had met their end. Whilst I had hitherto considered this, but a natural attribute of my family of short-lived men, I afterward pondered long upon these premature deaths, and began to connect them with the wandering of the old man, who often spoke of a curse which for centuries had prevented the lives of the holder of my title from much exceeding the span of thirty-two years. Upon my twenty-first birthday, the aged Pierre gave to me a family document which he said for many generations has been handed down from father to son and continued by each possessor. Its contents were the most startling nature, and its perusal confirmed the gravest of my apprehensions. At this time, my belief in the supernatural was firm and deep-seated, else I should have dismissed with scorn the incredible narrative unfolded before my eyes. The paper carried me back to the days of the 13th century, when the old castle in which I sat had been feared an impregnable force. It told of a certain ancient man who had once dwelled on our estate, a person of no small accomplishments, though little above the rank of peasant, by name Michael, usually designated by the surname Mavu, the evil. On account of his sinister reputation, he had studied beyond the customs of his kind, seeking such things as the philosopher's stone or the elixir of eternal life, and was reputed wise in the terrible secrets of black magic and alchemy. Michael Mavu had one son named Charles, a youth as proficient as himself in the hidden arts, who had therefore been called a le sorcier, or the wizard. This pair, shunned by all honest folk, were suspected of the most hideous practices. Old Michael was said to have burnt his wife alive as a sacrifice to the devil, and the unaccountable disappearances of many small peasant children were lay at the dreaded door of these two. Yet though the dark nature of the father and the son ran one redeeming ray of humanity, the old man loved his offspring with fierce intensity, whilst the young had for his parents more than a filial affection. One night the castle on the hill was thrown into the wildest confusion by the banishment of young Godfrey, son of Henry, the Count. A searching party headed by the fanatic father invaded the cottage of the sorcerers, and there came upon the old Michael Mavu, busy over a huge and violently boiling cauldron. Without certain cause, in the undergoverned madness of fury and despair, the Count laid hands on the aged wizard, and ere he released his murderous hold, his victim was no more. Meanwhile, joyful servants were proclaiming the findings of young Godfrey in the distance and unused chambers of great edifice, telling too late that poor Michael had been killed in vain. As the Count and his associates turned away from the lowly abode of the alchemist, the form of Charles the Sorcier appeared to the trees. The excited chatter of the menial standing about told him, what had occurred, and he seemed at first unmoved at his father's fate. Then, slowly, advancing to meet the Count, he pronounced in dull yet terrible accents the curse that had ever afterward haunted the house of sea.
may now no more thy murderous mind survive to reach a greater age than thine he said when suddenly leaving backwards into the black woods he drew from his tunic a phial of colourless liquid which he threw into the face of his father's slayer as he disappeared behind the inky curtains of night the count died without utterance and was buried the next day but little more than thirty-two years in the hour of his birth no trace of the assassin could be found yet restless bands of peasants scoured the neighbouring woods and meadowlands around the hill thus time and the want of a reminder dull the memory of the curse in the minds of the late count's family who in godfrey innocent cause of the whole tragedy and now bearing the title was killed by an arrow whilst hunting at the age thirty-two there were no thoughts save those of grief at his demise but when years afterward the next young count robert by name was found dead in a nearby field of no apparent cause the peasants told in whispers that their seigneur had been lately past his thirty-second birthday when surprised by an early death Lois, son of robert was found drowned in the moat at the same fateful age and thus down through the centuries ran the ominous chronicles henry's roberts antoine's armand's snatched from happy and virtuous lives when little below the age of their unfortunate ancestor at his murder that i had left at most but eleven years of further existence was made certain to me by the words which i had read my life previously held at small value now it became dearer to me each day as i delved deeper and deeper into the mysteries of the hidden world of black magic isolated as i was modern science had produced no impression upon me and I laboured as in the Middle Ages, as rapt as had been old Michael and young Charles themselves in the acquisition of demonological and alchemical learnings. Yet read as I might, and no matter could I account for the strange curse upon our line. In unusual rational moments I would go even further as to seek natural explanations, attributing to the early deaths of my ancestors and the sinister Charles de Sorcier and his heirs. Yet, having found upon careful inquiries that there were no known descendants of the alchemist, I would fall back to occult studies, and once more endeavor to find a spell that would release my house from its terrible burden. Upon one thing I was absolutely resolved. I should ever wed, since no other branch of my family was in existence, I might thus end the curse with myself. As drawn near the age of thirty, old Pierre was called to the land beyond. Alone I buried him beneath the stones of the courtyard about which he'd loved to wander in life. Thus was I left to ponder on myself as the only human creature within the great fortress, and in my utter solitude my mind began to cease its vain protest against the impending doom, to become almost reconciled to the fate which so many of my ancestors had met. Much of my time was now occupied in the exploration and ruin and abandoned halls and tower of the old chateau, which in youth fear had caused me to shun, and some of which old Pierre had once told me not to trodden by human foot for over four centuries strange and awesome were many of the objects i encountered furniture covered by the dust of ages crumbling with the rot of long dampness met my eyes cobwebs in a profusion never before seen by me were spun everywhere and huge bats flapped their bony and uncanny wings on all sides of the otherwise untenant gloom of my exact age even down to the days and hours i kept a most careful record the frigid movement of the pendulum of the massive clock in the library told of so much of my doomed existence at length i approached that time which i had so long viewed with apprehension since most of my ancestors had been seized a little before they reached the exact age of count henry at his end i was every moment on the watch for the coming of unknown death 
In what strange form the curse which should overtake me, I knew not, but I was resolved, at least, that I should not find me a cowardly or passive victim. With new vigor, I applied myself to examination of old Chateau and its contents. It was upon one of the longest of my excursions in the discovery of the deserted portion of the castle, less than a week before that fatal hour which I must mark the utmost limit of my stay on earth beyond which I could have not even the slightest hope of continuing to draw breath, that I came upon the culminating event of my whole life. I had spent the better part of the morning in the climbing up and down a half-ruined staircases in the most dilapidated of the ancient turrets. As the afternoon progressed, I sought the lower levels, descending in what appeared to be either a medieval place or confinement, or more recently evacuated storeroom for gunpowder. As I slowly traversed the nitrate-encrusted passageways, at the foot of the last staircase, the paving became very damp. As soon as I saw by the light of the flickering torch that a blank water-stained wall impeded my journey. Turning to retrace my steps, my eyes fell upon a small trap-door with a ring which lay directly beneath my foot. Pausing, I succeeded with difficulty in raising it, whereupon there was revealed a black aperture, exhaling noxious fumes which caused my torch to sputter and disclosing an unsteady glare at the top of the flight of stone steps. As soon as the torch which I lowered into the repellent depths burned freely and steadily, I commenced my descent. The steps were many, and led to a narrow stone-flagged passage which I knew must be far underground. This passage proved of great length, and terminated in a massive oaken door, dripping with the moisture of the place, and stoutly resisting all my attempts to open it, ceasing after a time my efforts in this direction, I had proceeded back some distance towards the steps, where there suddenly fell to my experience one of the most profound and maddening shocks capable of reception by the human mind. Without warning, I heard the heavy door behind me creak slowly open upon its rusty hinges. My immediate sensations were capable of analysis. To be confronted in a place as thoroughly deserted as I deemed the old castle with evidence of presence of man or spirit produced in my brain a horror of most acute description. When at last I turned and faced the seat of that sound, my eyes must have started from their orbit at the sight that I beheld. There, in the ancient Gothic doorway, stood a human figure. It was that of a man clad in a skull cap and a long medieval tunic of dark color. His long hair and flowing beard were of a terrible and intense black hue, an incredible profusion. His forehead, high beyond the usual dimensions, his cheeks deep-sunken and heavily lined with wrinkles, and his hands, long, claw-like, and gnarled, were of such a deep, marble-like whiteness I had never elsewhere seen in a man. His figure, leaned to the proportions of a skeleton, was strangely bent and almost lost in the voluptuous folds of his peculiar garment. But strange of his all were his eyes, twin caverns of abysmal darkness, profound and expressive understanding, yet inhuman to the degree of wickedness. These were now fixed upon me, piercing my soul with their hatred, and rooting me to the spot whereon I stood. At last the figure spoke in a rumbling voice that chilled me through with a dull hollowness and latent malevolence. The language in which the discourse was clothed was debased form of Latin in use amongst the more learned men of Middle Ages, and made familiar to me by my prolonged research into the works of the old alchemist and demolodinists. The apparition spoke of the curse which had hovered over my house, told me of my coming end, dwelt on the wrong perpetrated by my ancestors against Michael Mervoux, and gloated over the revenge of Charles the Sorcier. 
He told how young Charles escaped into the night, returned in after years to kill Godfrey, the heir, with an arrow just as he approached the aid which his father had at his assassination. How he had secretly returned the estate and established him, unknown, in the even, the deserted subterranean chambers whose doorways now framed the hideous narrator. How he had seized Robert, son of Godfrey, in a field, forced poison down his throat, and left him to die at the age of thirty-two, thus maintaining the foul provision of his vengeful curse. At this point, I was left to imagine the solution of the great mystery of all, how the curse had been fulfilled since the time when Charles de Sorcier must in course of his nature have died, for the man digressed to account of deep alchemaic studies of the two wizards, father and son, speaking most particularly of the research of Charles de Sorcier concerning the elixir which should grant to him who partook of his eternal life and youth. His enthusiasm had seemed for the moment to remove from his terrible eyes the black malevolence that at first so haunted me. But suddenly the fiendish glare returned, and with a shocking sound like a hissing of a serpent, the stranger raised a glass vial, the evident intent of ending my life as Charles de Sorcier six hundred years before ended that of my ancestors. Prompted by some preserving instinct of self-defense, I broke through the spell that had hitherto held me immovable, and flung my now dying torch at the creature who had menaced my existence. I heard the file break harmlessly against the stone of the passage as the tunic of the strange man caught fire and that the horrid scene with a ghastly radiance. The shriek of fright and impotent malice emitted by the would-be assassin proved too much for my already shaken nerves, and I fell prone upon the slimy floor in a total faint. When at last my senses returned, all was frightfully dark. Remembering what had occurred, shrank from the idea of beholding any more, yet curiosity overmasters all. Who, I asked myself, was the man of evil, and how he came within the castle walls? Why should he seek to avenge the death of Michael Muve? And how bad the curse been carried on through all the long centuries since the time of Charles de Sorcier? The dread of years was lifted from my shoulder, for I knew that he whom I had felled was the source of all my danger from the curse, and now that I was free, I burned with a desire to learn more of the sinister thing which had haunted my line for centuries and made my own youth one long-continued nightmare. Determined upon further exploration, I felt in my pocket for flint and steel, and lit the unused torch which I had with me. First of all, new light revealed the distorted and blackened form of the mysterious stranger. The hideous eyes were now closed. Disliking the sight, I turned away and entered the chamber beyond the Gothic door. Here I found what seemed much like an alchemist's laboratory. In one corner was an immense pile of shining yellow metal that sparkled gloriously in the light of a torch, for I was strangely affected by that which I had undergone. At the farther end of the apartment was an opening leading out into one of the many wild ravines of the dark hillside forest. Filled with wonder, yet now realizing how the man had obtained access to the chateau, I proceeded to return. I had intended to pass by the remains of the stranger with averted face, but as I approached the body, I seemed to hear emanating from it a faint sound as though life were not wholly extinct. Aghast, I turned to examine the charred and shriveled figure on the floor. Then, all at once, the horrible eyes, blacker even the seared face in which they were set, opened wide with an expression which I was unable to interpret. The cracked lips tried to frame words which I could not well understand. Once I caught the name of Charles de Sorcier, and again I fancied the word years and curse issued from the twisted mouth. Still I was at a loss to gather the purport of his disconnected speech, and my evident ignorance of his meaning, 
the pitchy eyes once more flashed malevolently at me, until, helpless as I saw my opponent to be, I trembled as I watched him. Suddenly the wretch, animated with his last brute of strength, raised his piteous head from the damp and sunken pavement. Then, as I remained paralyzed with fear, he found his voice and in a dying breath streamed forth those words which have ever haunted my days and nights. Fool! he shrieked. Can you not guess my secret? Have you no brain whereby you may recognize the will which has through six long centuries fulfilled the dreadful curse upon the house? Have I not told you of the great elixir of eternal life? Know you not how the secret of alchemy was solved? I told you, it is I, 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 that I have lived for six hundred years to maintain my revenge, for I am Charles the Sorcier. End of The Alchemist Recording by Tyler Doherty